Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you again. I'm so glad there's a congregation here this morning because the last time that I was in this church, well, I was in the other room, but the last time I was in here, there were three people, just three. It was during the pandemic, and I remember trying to preach to an empty church, and you couldn't see the congregation. I'm so glad those days are behind us. There is not much inspiration when you're looking at the Seat family. It's much better to see people and to be able to get a response. And uh, it's an inspiration very often. Well, most times a a congregation is an inspiration. The congregation should be an inspiration to the preacher and and, uh, draws the word out. Okay, we're going to read Ezekiel 37 this morning. Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm going to read the first 14 verses, Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And yet he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So... (coughs) Pardon me. So as I prophesied, as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then I said unto me, Prophesy unto the Son of Man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried. And our hope is lost, and we are cut off for our parts. Therefore, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves." And shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place, uh, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have performed it, have spoken it, and performed it, saith the Lord. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of this very, very wonderful passage of Scripture. Pretty graphic picture, isn't it? Maybe it's not the most exciting thing to come to church this morning. And to think that, that the preacher is going to talk about dry bones. Well, 
I trust that the sermon won't be dry. The bones are dry, very dry. But we trust that as we open and try and open up this passage of Scripture, that there will be inspiration and blessing for every one of us. <clears throat> now, Ezekiel was a tough character. He had to be. He had an enormous job to carry out. He was, of course, exiled to Babylon. He was there for 22 years, had been from about 593 to 571. And, uh, of course, Ezekiel just didn't receive one vision. Ezekiel had many visions. Commentators actually differ as to exactly how many visions Ezekiel had. Some say six, some say seven, some say more than that. But God spoke to Ezekiel very powerfully through visions. And if any of you have attempted to open up the visions of Ezekiel, you'll soon know how difficult they are to interpret and how difficult they are to really understand. But there's a wealth of truth and uh, uh, stuff for us, food, spiritual food for us, if we do that. Now, I've opted for the simplest one. The easiest vision to interpret is Ezekiel 37. Now, the interesting thing in Ezekiel 1, chapter 1, the, the very opening uh, words of the, of the prophet Ezekiel, we read these words, The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. You remember Isaiah in chapter 6? Isaiah had a tough job on hand as well. And what do we read about him? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That was the secret of Isaiah's ministry, of Daniel's ministry, of Ezekiel's ministry, these major prophets, indeed all of the prophets. The uh, thing that, that sustained them and enabled them to carry out the task that they were given was that the, the hand of the Lord was upon them. The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. That was the cherubim. Now, Ezekiel wasn't an aloof prophet. You know, sometimes think that these men who have great visions of God, that they must have been a sort of like a recluse and that they were distant. But that was not the case. Because when we look at Ezekiel, when he was amongst the captives there in Babylon, uh, what do we read about him? And I sat where they sat. I sat where they sat. And we as the Lord's people have a great task to carry out, as had Ezekiel, but we must be never aloof, must never be aloof. We must sit where people sit. We need to understand their hurts, their, 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 the, the difficulties, the trials, the disasters that so many people in our communities these days are going through. Uh, this vision, of course, was startling to say the very least. A valley of dry bones. Now, we might say, well, what was this a picture of? Well, he tells us, this is the whole house of Israel. Now, you know that the Christian church is God's Israel. We are God's Israel. And so this prophecy that was given to the whole house of Israel, well, given to Ezekiel for the whole house of Israel, was the picture of the whole house of Israel. The message that was given for those people in that day is a message for you and me. 
Let's not imagine that this is a, an Old Testament story, an Old Testament prophet that happened a couple of, uh, several, th- well, two and a half thousand years ago, that it doesn't apply to us. Biblical principles that were given by these Old Testament prophets apply to you and me uh, today. It was a shocking sight. There's no doubt about that. But as I've already alluded to, uh, the fact that uh, Ezekiel had, uh, he saw the Lord and Isaiah saw the Lord. I think the most significant thing is this. He said, the, verse 1 of chapter 37, the hand of the Lord was upon me. The hand of the Lord was upon me. In the wee time of prayer just before the service this morning, and one of the men, I, I don't remember who, but one of the men prayed, Lord, let your hand be upon us. Or maybe he was praying for someone and prayed that the, the Lord would put his hand upon them. You know, that's not a vain repetition when you pray. We, some, we, we do use that phrase in prayer. Keep using it. It's a significant word. The hand of the Lord was upon him. And if you have a pastor, when you do have a pastor and you have elders, you have people who are in leadership, that the hand of the Lord is upon them. The hand of the Lord. It's a very significant phrase, this hand of the Lord. We don't have time this morning to go over to an order of any desire, either in Acts chapter 11 and verse 21. When the Apostle Paul, along with his fellow evangelists, were preaching and the church was coming together and blessing was, was uh, the Spirit was being outpoured and people were being converted. Listen to what we read in Acts eleven twenty one. Here it is. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord. Oh, to know the hand of God resting upon our lives. Jabez was an obscure character. I hope you've all heard of him. There's only two verses about him in the Bible in First Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And we read that he was the best of a bad bunch. It says he was more honorable than his brethren. There wasn't a lot to commend him. But Jabez prayed. And what did he pray? Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, and that thine hand might be with me. We only have two verses about Jabez, but the significant thing about him was this. He prayed, and we know that God answered his prayer. That's what we read. God granted him that which he requested. You see, the hand of God was upon him. The hand of God was upon uh, the, the early apostles, the Apostle Paul in particular, and the other apostles as they were preaching. And the hand of God powerfully, very powerfully, was resting upon this prophet. Now, there's just three things that there isn't time to deal with at all, and nor do I have a desire to lengthen this out this morning. But there's three simple things, really, that we can draw from this passage. There's a vision of the general situation, because we read that he was to, the Lord showed him all round about. So it was a vision of the general situation. And then he had a vision of his personal obligation. And then he had a a vision of the spiritual visitation. Now, those are not my headings. I have no idea where I got them from, who I wrote them down from, but I give somebody else credit. They're they're certainly not mine, but they're useful hooks to hang the points upon this morning. The vision of the general situation. This was a graveyard of an industrial scale. Valley of dry bones. 
Can I just throw in a wee comment here? Do we think that God's servants should never be in the valley? There are believers that think they have fallen into sin. They think there's some terrible thing happening to them if they're going through the valley. Let me say to you, you will learn the best lessons and you will have the deepest Christian experience, not when you're on the mountaintop, but very often in the valley. Heard Dr. Charles Price preaching recently at the Fifth Mission Convention in Edinburgh, just listening to it online. And he talked about a preacher, a man whom he knew well. And he said he was a good expositor, his exegesis was good, his delivery was good, everything about his preaching was good. But it lacked something. Then he said that this man went through a deep valley. In fact, George Price was preaching on drinking of the waters of Marah, drinking bitter waters. George Price said that man, as he came out of the valley, preached with a power that he never had. Let's not fight the valleys. Let's learn the lessons in the valleys. And God took Ezekiel into a valley for a very wonderful purpose indeed. Now it says, he caused me to pass by them all around. Now I know there's one or two builders uh, in this congregation this morning. And if you're going to do a, a job, you need a surveyor. You need a survey. If it's a renovation job, if it's a new job, you need, you need a surveyor. Somebody who will map out the whole thing, do drawings, have the various reports, have the thing well together. Well, can you just imagine Ezekiel, Ezekiel here? And he's walking up and down this valley and roundabout and he sees these dead bones. I think it must have been one of the most oppressing days of his life, this valley of bones. This vision depicted desolation, it depicted destitution, and it depicted dereliction. Have we had a walk around our communities in Saintfield, out of Saintfield, wherever in this province, down through the south of Ireland in particular? And what do we, ha- what do we have, folks? We have a picture of desolation and dereliction. West Belfast, where there are suicides, well, in Belfast, there are suicides almost, not quite, almost on a daily basis. People who, can be, who are described here in verse 11, our hope is lost. Our hope is lost. That's the picture. Men and women without any hope whatsoever. Doesn't the proverb in 29 and verse 18 remind us? That where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. What was God doing here for Ezekiel? Doing to Ezekiel? God was giving Ezekiel a picture of the desperate state of the house of Israel that had been carried off into Babylon and they were in a bad state. And we, have, we, live, in a, a commu- we live in communities these days... <clears throat> that are exactly the same. Sum it up in three words. Number one, they were lifeless, full of bones. Bones denote what? Bones? It denotes death. Perhaps in this community, we have people that are men and women who are charming, nice people to meet, 
intellectually sharp. We have so many people that are their, their intellectual faculties are in full play. Their human sensibilities are wide awake. But as far as the heavenward hemisphere is concerned, they draw a blank. There is a blank. And they, you take the comparison of what Ezekiel saw here, lifeless bones. And we meet people, charming people, nice people, kind people, Do we really believe that they're lost if they're not born again of the Spirit of God? They are lifeless. They are dry bones. And it's almost as though to emphasize it, and they were very dry, lifeless. What else can we say about dry bones? They're not only lifeless, but they're useless. If you were told to clean up a valley of dry bones, what were you likely to do? you'd probably build a crematorium. You would burn the bones. That's what you would do, and that's what happens to these... That's what should have happened to these dry bones. They should have been burned. That's the fate of men and women who have not tasted of the grace of God. They are useless. And to emphasize that, let me just read a couple of verses. I do want to read them. I want to read just a couple of verses from Romans 3 as the Apostle Paul points out what, what unconverted souls, what men and women are really like without the gospel, without the gospel of Christ. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh God. They are all gone out of the way. Listen to this. They are together become unprofitable. They're useless. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. The feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the valley of dry bones, lifeless, useless, and of course I've already indicated they're hopeless as well. Our hope is lost. Godlessness always leads to hopelessness. I'll say that again. Godlessness always leads to hopelessness. That's why we have so many, many people who have no hope. Doesn't the Apostle Paul underscore that in Ephesians 2.12, having no hope and without God in the world. That was the picture that Ezekiel saw. That's the picture that you and I need to see. The psalmist reminds us that they have made void your law. They've regarded your law as void. What did he say? Lord, it is time for you to work. It is time to act. Well, that was the, the vision of the general situation. Move quickly into his vision of the personal obligation. God told Ezekiel what he was to do. See, it's one thing to see the people. It's one thing to understand that they're lifeless and useless and hopeless. But what was Ezekiel to do? Well, God told him what he was to do. It comes through in just two sentences, in two phrases actually, prophecies of instruction that were given to Ezekiel. I remember many years ago listening, I think it was the Reverend Tom Shaw, 
I scribbled it down. You know how you do? You write down something that drips you. And you forget to write down who said it. I I think it was Tom Shaw. He was preaching to us as young faith mission workers, inspiring us and encouraging us. He said, Preach with divine urgency and pray with divine fervency. That's exactly, that is exactly what Ezekiel was told to do. Preach with divine urgency and pray with divine fervency. On the face of it here for Ezekiel, nothing could be more ridiculous. Imagine standing up in a valley. I mean, there would be, if somebody did that, it looked utterly ridiculous on the face of it. Preaching to these bones. But that's exactly the commission of the Christian church. That's what we're called to do. We are called to preach. We are called to proclaim the gospel. Now, I, I love this, the, the way the Lord speaks to Ezekiel here. I was out for a walk two Sunday afternoons ago and I was meditating on this passage of Scripture and I, I nearly stopped in my tracks as I began to think on, well, I did stop in my tracks, Can these bones live? That's what God said to Ezekiel. Can these bones live? If God spoke to you and said to you, after a vision like this, can can these bones live? What would you say? Well, Ezekiel was no superficial, light-hearted, surface kind of a prophet. You see, there are prophets, so-called, around today. And if they were asked, can these bones live? Can God touch this person? Can God lift up the and, and depths? Thinking through the depths of this question. Son of man, can these... Lord, thou knowest. Thou knowest. You see, Ezekiel wasn't going to back himself into a corner. Ezekiel has a grasp. Because of the vision he has had of the Lord and of the cherubim and so on, and Ezekiel chapter 1 that we read about, Ezekiel doesn't back himself into a corner. He sees the greatness of God and he understands the sovereignty of God. He understands that God is all powerful and he's working out his purposes and his plans. And he doesn't open his mouth and say something glibly. He goes back and he said, Lord, you know, you know. That's the place to be, uh, anchored in the sovereignty of God. I tell you, where, where would we be today if we didn't know the stuff that's happening around us? Where would we be if we didn't know that our God reigns? If we didn't know that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, we'd be wringing our hands in despair. But Ezekiel says, Lord, you know, you know. Lord, you're working out your plans and your purposes. But he's anchored in the sovereignty of God. But what Ezekiel doesn't do is take that up and say that negates my personal responsibility. Some do that. They push the doctrine of the sovereignty of God so far that it's almost to the point of 
no personal obligation. Read this passage of Scripture. This man believes with all his heart, Lord, you know. But he also doesn't try to shift the responsibility or negate his responsibility, shift it to somewhere else. And so he hears, he hears the message, prophesy. God's sovereign, but it's our responsibility to preach the gospel. Didn't, doesn't the scripture, or didn't the apostle Paul say, woe is me if I preach not the gospel? At all costs, somebody said, at all costs, preach the word. At all costs, support those financially or whatever other way, those who preach the word. It's God's method. God has not promised to bless theological systems. He hasn't promised to bless superficial, uh, fanciful interpretations and philosophical speculations. God has promised to bless the preaching of the word. I was over in Donegal there in the middle of August. We held a mission. I just was sharing in it for one week, a mission in a barn out in the heart of the country, outside Donegal town. You know, in, in many senses, it sort of looked kind of ridiculous. A hayshed, barn, few chairs in it, good PA system, thankfully. There was 200 there in the closing night. People would have said, have a mission in a barn? Who's going to come to that? Crowds of people came. Loads of unconverted people were there every night, and God worked and saved the lost. There were dry bones that were brought to life. You know, some things that we think are ridiculous, well, the world thinks they're ridiculous. Doesn't Paul say that the preaching of the cross is to those who perish? Foolishness. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God. It's the mighty power of God. The responsibility of preaching the word. Doesn't Isaiah 55:14 remind us, my word shall not return unto me void, but it shall prosper. Well, what happened? There's a shaking. Wouldn't you long, as I long, to be in gospel meetings where there's a shaking, where, there's a, where the power of God is powerfully at work under the preaching of the word, not superficial excitement, but where the power of the, where the anointing of God is upon the word and there's a shaking. Oh, no, we're not talking about the building shaking, although that did happen in the Isle of Lewis. And in the, in the early 50s, the building shook as the power of God moved in the Isle of Lewis. But the real shaking is when souls come under deep conviction of sin. That's the wonderful thing. A businessman attended a, a mission that I was involved in up in the Lower Valley. And uh, I watched him in the service. I, I, I could see him in the tent that night, even though the power was off and it was kind of dark. I could see him shaking. God got a hold of him. And it was the preaching of the word that does that. Let's not uh, try to, uh, to, to uh, shirk the responsibility. And let's not be taken in with gimmicks and all sorts of stuff. Preach the word. And look, the second thing, I have to finish. Pre- the second thing is pray with divine fervency. Prophesy to the breath. Come from the four winds of breath and breathe on these that are slain. Folks, Can I say this this morning? It's possible, even in a church like this, to have folk that have got bones and sinews and flesh 
and skin, without breath. We can look the part and have no real spiritual life. We need to examine ourselves, really examine ourselves before the Lord. You know, am I going through the motions? Am I just doing the thing? Do I have an appreciation of the gospel, appreciate what Christians do? But really, in the depths of the soul, there's no spiritual life. Never been, there's never been the, 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 the regenerating power of the Spirit. I challenge you with that this morning. I said I should leave that out when I'm preaching in St. Phil Baptist this morning. And I felt the Lord saying, no. Ask the question. Is it possible to be in church? And a, 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 a third of an evangelical church and coming, but never been truly converted? Oh, may the breath of God come and awaken you and draw you and regenerate you and make you spiritually alive. You see, we need the Word and we need the Spirit, don't we? We need both. Somebody said one time, if you have only the Word, you dry up. If you have only the Spirit, you blow up. And if you have the Word and the Spirit, the Word under the power of the Spirit, what do you do? You grow up. We grow spiritually. And there's that maturity. Third thing as I finish is the vision of the spiritual visitation. And the breath came into them. And they lived and stood upon their feet. I'm so glad, you, brother, you chose the hymn Onward Christian Soldiers. I had a verse of it in the notes here this morning. The hymn was perfect. You see, this valley of dry bones, what was it? It was an exceeding great army that had been wiped out. And now this army is going to be raised to life. You and I are soldiers in God's army. Every one of us. We have enlisted in the army. But... What can I say here just as I finish? There's four wee things, and I'll just give you the four things. These dry bones represent dead men and women who are vitalized. These corpses have been brought to life. Don't you love that scripture? I love it. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. You shall live also. Oh, to have that spiritual life. By the way, the resurrection, resurrection, the truth of the resurrection is clearly taught in the Old Testament. The oldest book in the Bible, which is what? Job. And what do we read? What did Job say? I know that my Redeemer liveth. At the last day in my flesh I shall see God. <laughs> Don't think that you, you know, Ezekiel didn't know anything about resurrection power. Of course he did. It's clearly taught in the Old Testament. <clears throat> I'll move on. Uh, vitalized, these bones stood upon their feet. Ah, stand up. Stand up for Jesus. That's the call. They were energized. They've become soldiers in the battle. They were mobilized, an exceeding great army, and they were utilized. They were put to good use. That's just a summary of that outpouring, this mighty moving of the Spirit. God wants to vitalize every one of us, make us totally alive. He wants us to be energized. What will energize us? The infilling, the empowering of the Spirit of God. Unless we know something of that in our lives, we will not be energized. We'll be dreary, and to use a Scots word, we'll be dreary. Mobilized in an exceeding great army 
an army that's working together and marching forward and using, uh, uh, seizing every opportunity. I wrote this verse of a hymn down to finish, uh, as well as uh, Onward Christian Soldiers. I'll leave that one. Here it is. Revive us, Lord, is zeal abating, while harvest fields are vast and white. Revive us, Lord, the world is waiting. Equip thy church to spread the light. Let's pray that God will equip us and enable us to be those who really do spread the light. A brief prayer, and then we'll sing 436. O God, our Father, we pray that you would cause everyone in this service to know what it is to be truly vitalized through the birth of the Spirit. Cause us, Lord, to be those who are energized, who are mobilized, who are utilized. Lord, thank you that there's no unemployment in your army and God's army. Lord, make every one of us effective soldiers in preaching the word and praying that the valley of dry bones that's all around us, that they might be brought to life. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake and glory. Amen. Sing together 436 as we close. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Teach me thy way. <clears throat> thy gracious aid of four, teach me thy way. There's just three verses, so we'll stand together and sing all three. Thank you. <clears throat>